love to sit and look through those holy pages and read about the eternal rock of ages. See all that God has done, the battles he has won, the great prophecies unfold. In every book from Genesis to Revelation, I see his loving grace and this great salvation brings courage to my soul, for I know he's in control. I believe every word is true. It's time now for the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton of the Faith Baptist Church of Silver Springs, Florida. So get your Bible, a pen, and your Bible study notebook as we journey through the truths of God's Word. And now with today's timeless truth, here's Pastor Walton. Colossians chapter number 4. Colossians chapter number 4. As we come to the conclusion of this book, we have a verse here that says in verse 5, to walk in wisdom toward them that are without, those that are outside of the faith, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. So when we walk in wisdom, what he is asking us to do is every place our feet treads, do so with the wisdom of God's word. The word walk is a present tense. Every time you're walking in the immediate moment of your life, as you are walking, as you're treading through your life, if you're conducting yourself in life, do it with the wisdom of God, knowing that you're walking in a world without Christ that needs to see Jesus Christ. Now, we always need to be a witness of that. We, we need to conduct ourselves in the, such a way that outsiders would see something that would grip hold of them and tell them that they need the Lord Jesus Christ. Let your speech be always with grace. In other words, you ought to be gracious in the way you talk. You ought to be with, uh, with unmerited favor. You think, hey, don't deserve it. Hey, that, that's unmerited favor. That's grace. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned, prepared with salt. That's a spice that makes you thirsty and kind of, whoa, parches you a little bit. You want some more. So you want to do so that you're seasoned with the salt so that you could do a couple things. Not only help them with an answer, but you would know how to answer every man. See, people are all different. And they come from different backgrounds. And so we need the wisdom that we have. So we're to walk in wisdom toward those that are outside of our faith, redeeming the time. And that's present tense. So we're presently redeeming the time. So, and, and we do so by letting our speech be always gracious and full of unmerited favor towards all, seasoned with that salt, meaning that we have the word of God and we know how to apply it to, to get people parched and wanting more that we would know how we ought to answer every man and the idea is that God gives us the wisdom to know what to say and there have been many times the Lord I felt prompted by the Lord to say something to somebody that didn't make any sense but when I said it the person's immediate response was how did you know and I said God told me and so we then have an automatic uh, conversation there because of that 
Now, after he says that about walking in wisdom toward them that are without and redeeming the time and our speech being right, he then begins to explain some people. He actually lists the names of people. And uh, I've categorized them with various hearts that they had. The first one in the list, all my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the purpose or the same purpose that he might show uh, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. The name Tychicus means fortunate, fortuitous. He was a beloved brother. He was very loved by the Apostle Paul. But he was a faithful minister, it says there. And it says in the same he was a fellow servant. The word minister is a servant. And then he was a fellow servant with Paul in the Lord. So he was a minister by his own right. But he was also a fellow servant with Paul in the Lord. So he had a servant's heart. A servant's heart is easy to say you'll have until you're treated like one. When you're treated like a servant, you might say, I don't know that I want to be treated like that anymore. Well, therein you need to stop and think, do I really mean when I say I want a servant's heart? There's a song that says, make me a servant like you, dear Lord. Look at how they treated Jesus. Jesus said that's how they'll treat you. The next one in the list is a man named Onesimus. Onesimus, uh, faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you that shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Now, the reason why he said, which is one of you, is because he was a runaway slave and he was saved under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. In his running away, he happened to run into the Apostle Paul. The name means profitable. And in the book of Philemon, Paul said, I've sent him back, but he was, so he'd be profitable to you, but he's also profitable to me. And the book of Philemon deals with this brother that has come and is now part of the fold. And Philemon, knowing your mind, I just decided to be Paul the friend and say, would you receive him back and take care to not play the charges against him. I could come at you as Paul the Apostle. I don't want to do that. And he said, look, if he owes you anything at all, put that on my account. That's imputation. My sins are done away with because I have imputed righteousness. And let me just say, uh, if I, by illustration, if I have a uh, credit card and it has a $25,000 credit limit, and I run it up to $25,000, and I'm making the monthly payments, I will spend an entire lifetime and never pay the balance off. It won't happen. If somebody wrote me a check for $25,000 and said, pay off the debt, and I wrote the check to the credit card company and paid the debt in full, a lot of people say, hey, that's what Jesus did. It is not. Let me tell you why. You see, that account is still in my name. It can still have a record put on it. It can still be used. When it's used, I will owe the debt. Let me give you the scenario this way. I have a credit card. I spent $25,000. Someone comes along and says, let me transfer this entire account 
to my account and I will pay the debt. And every time you charge, it's paid. That is what Christ did. That's the book of Philemon in a nutshell. So Philemon was to take Onesimus back. Onesimus is a repentant heart. He was saved. He repented. At the instruction of Paul, he went back to Philemon and obeyed. The next one in the list is Aristarchus. In verse number 10, my fellow prisoner saluteth you. Uh, Aristarchus means his name, best ruling. He stood with those who were persecuted. If you look at Acts 19, 29 and Acts 20 and verse number 4, you will see he's part of the group when things are happening and they're being arrested. He has a sympathetic heart. He's willing to stick it out and not run away when the going gets tough. He does not fall apart. He does not say, I didn't sign up for this. He's right there in the thick of it. And Paul says here, he is my fellow prisoner and he salutes you. So Aristarchus has a sympathetic heart, sympathetic to the cause of Christ, sympathetic to the apostle Paul. And I mean that word sincerely in the not having uh, a crying fit, but wanting to be part of it, a sympathetic cause. When someone has a sympathetic cause, they're willing to bind themselves more heartily than those that are unsympathetic with a cause. And so that was Aristarchus. So he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, salute you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom ye receive commandments. If he come unto you, receive him. Now, Marcus' name is uncertain in its origin. But uh, I call him the one with a determined heart. You see, he was determined to keep going in spite of his past failures. He made some failures. When Paul and Silas were together, uh, the reason why they came together is because of a falling apart between Paul and Barnabas. Well, what happened between Paul and Barnabas? They took John Mark with them. John Mark took off and ran, did not stick it out. And so when it came time to go again, Barnabas says, hey, I, let's take Mark again. Let's, let's give him another chance. Paul said no, and the Bible says the contention was so sharp between them, they parted one from the other. So uh, Barnabas took Mark, and the apostle Paul went with Silas. But in spite of his past failures, Mark continues to show up in the Scriptures. In spite of his discouragement, he shows up in the Scriptures. In spite of the discouragement of what the Apostle Paul said, because that was that split was because of him. In spite of the mark on his testimony, Marcus was determined to keep on keeping on to the point that uh, one of the verses says, bring Mark, he is profitable. And here he says, if Mark comes unto you, receive him. Have a determined heart. If a just man falleth seven times, he gets back up. Keep on keeping on. Don't look to make mistakes. Don't try to make mistakes. Don't have an attitude. If I sin, I'll get right. Want to do right, be right, think right. But when you get knocked down, get back up and be determined. The next one is in verse number 11. And Jesus, which is called justice, who are of the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort to me. Now, 
the name Jesus means Savior. The word justice means just or upright. He was of the circumcision, so he would have been one that was Jewish in nature. And he was a comfort to Paul. He was a humble heart. Despite being a Jew and being of the circumcision, he was one that humbled himself, and he was one that was a fellow worker, not trying to take the, the credit. He was a fellow worker. There are those that are all alone because they're going to do it and take all the credit, and there are those that are fellow workers. They work together. And he said, it was under the kingdom of God which was given to me. So he was a humble heart, and he also was a comfort. So he was one who could comfort one another. That brings us to the next one. His name is Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of you, that means one of the Colossians, uh, a servant of Christ saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Wow, he sounds pretty awesome, doesn't he? He's mentioned in chapter 1, and uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, he's in verse 7, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. So Epaphras, who was one of them, was a servant of Christ, a fellow laborer. He salutes you. He's always laboring fervently for you in prayers. That's the first thing we see. Now, his name means covered with foam. Uh, he had a burdened heart. He was burdened to pray. He was burdened to pray for these people in such a way that he labored fervently at it. That, that's the key part of that. He labored fervently. It means to struggle, to contend. He was really getting into prayer for these people. He was among them. He knew them. He knew their needs. He knew their situations. And he was laboring in prayers that, here's why he was doing it, that ye, Paul is writing this, that you Colossians may stand, be established, set, perfect. That means complete, uh, mature. And complete in all the will of God. He said that's what he was doing. He was laboring. He was under a burden. He prayed fervently. He was concerned about your spiritual needs. He had a zeal for you people. Because verse 13 says, For I bear him record, Paul says that about him, that he hath a great zeal for you, and not just for you, but for them ten miles down the road in Laodicea, and them at Hierapolis, he was a person who had a burdened heart to really lift up in prayer the people that he was part of that were near to him and beyond him. That's how he prayed. That's who he was, a burdened heart, one who loved to pray fervently for others. Oh, I love it when people fervently pray for me. I love it when people say, and I maybe have had it said to me four or five times in my entire uh, Christian life, preacher, I pray for you every day. Wow, I love it. I'm glad for people that will pray on a daily basis. Well, it brings us to the next one in the list. Luke, 
the beloved physician. Ah, that's all it says. The name Luke means luminous, white. He was a physician, as we all know. But the good doctor was one who had a grip on things and was one that was smart in things. Because when he took in hand to write the gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he said, for as much as many have taken in hand. There have been a lot of people who set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. The Luke was a man who was very loyal. He was by the side of the Lord Jesus. He is writing here to be loyal to a man by the name of Theophilus. He is knowledgeable. He has a firsthand knowledge of what is going on. And though many people wrote, he felt inspired by the Spirit of God to write because he has a credible witness as a physician, had uh, access to birth records, could give a genealogy, which he does and Matthew does. He had a loyal heart. Oh, for loyal people. You know, a church that has people that are servants with a servant's heart but also determined to keep on keeping on, but do so with a burden and yet humble, become very loyal people. And loyal people in the church are people you can count on and depend on because they are always there, they care, and they don't cause trouble. They're there and you know when they come in, they're going to be a breath of fresh air to the church to the service, and to you personally. There are some people that maybe you miss when they're not in church because of their sweet spirit or their joyous smile or their contagious uh, demeanor of who they are. That's all it's said about him here. We could spend a whole lifetime in the book of Luke. But as we go back and we look at uh, Colossians chapter number 4 and get away from Luke's gospel, In verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greets you. Now, Demas' name means popular. I think that's interesting because in uh, Philemon, chapter 1, verse 24, he was a fellow laborer. That's good. He was part of them. But by the time we get to 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul says, Demas hath forsaken me. So I call Demas the double heart. My Bible says in the book, or the book of James that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. There is nothing stable about a double-minded person. There are a lot of double-minded people. Say one thing, then say another. Say one thing, preach another. Say one thing, and maybe even live another. It's interesting to me how many times... And how many ways you can be double-minded. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Uh, Double-minded. I think about being in the middle of the road. Some people said what's in the middle of the road are dead animals. And (laughs) 
dead things. Yeah. Dead animals and yellow streaks. Dead animals and yellow streaks. A double-minded man is unstable, unfit, uh, not really what he should be. The word unstable has everything to do with being inconsistent. Uh, it has everything to do with unsettled, unstable, cannot be restrained. Isn't that sad? And he's in that way in all his ways, on his journey of life. He's always like that. He doesn't change. Demas, double-hearted. That, that, that's the one that's bad in all this. I'm glad the rest of them aren't quite like that. Well, that leads us to another one. It says, salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphos, the church which is in his house. And uh, we see here, and when the epistle is read among you, cause it to be read in the church of Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Archippus' name means a master of horses. It, it, he was to take heed. It's an imperative. It's a command. And it was present tense. The word take heed means to look to, to regard, to perceive, to get a grip on the ministry or his calling. Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received of the Lord. And the word received is a receiving of a one-time thing from the Lord. You received it, now go fulfill it, complete it, make a full end of it. Do like the Apostle Paul who said at the end of his life, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Now, I call him the challenged or commissioned heart. The challenged or commissioned heart. He was challenged and commissioned by God to fulfill a ministry. And Paul says you've been given a calling to a ministry. You've received it from the Lord. Go fulfill it. My friend, whatever God's called us to do, we're to do it. We're to fulfill it. We're to do it heartily as under the Lord. We're to do it with all of our might. We're to do it with all of our might, mind, soul, and heart. All those things that the Bible says. We're to do it with a praise and worshipful attitude, with prayer and thanksgiving. Do you have a challenged, commissioned heart? Well, that's a lot of names, but there's one more name, and we can't spend a whole lot of time on this name because this name could be a study all by itself that would last for a very long time. But his name is in the last verse, the salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. The name Paul means small or little. Well, he was small in his own eyes. He was humble in the eyes of the Lord, but he was big in heart. So I say the Apostle Paul was a big heart. He had a large heart. His heart was large. His eye affected his heart. He was constantly writing to churches reminding them of who they were in Christ. His epistles are full of things like Romans, the salvation uh, epistle, just all the incredible things that happen because of Christ and how horrible chapter 1 verse 18 is about we're stair-stepping down. God gave them up, gave them up, gave them over, and then the 
moralizing Jew and uh, the good guy that says he's not that bad, the bad guy that says he doesn't need anything, chapter 2 and to the middle of chapter 3. But in the middle of chapter 3, there's this abrupt interruption about being justified by faith. And then it takes off and it just moves on through who we are because of salvation and justification. It moves from that, from being declared righteous to being sanctified and set apart for the life and glory of God. It then goes into the day that we will be glorified in Israel and what's going to happen to her and then into a great section of chapter 12 to 16 of how to live the life while we're here. Galatians, he was dealing with big-heartedness to a group of people who the Gnostics and the Judaizers had gotten to and they weren't believing like they were. And Paul said, I marvel that you are so soon removed to another gospel, which is not another. In another place, he said, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? And he started teaching them, did you get saved by the law or grace? And he starts explaining law and grace. He moves on. 1 Corinthians, he is dealing with a church that's got more problems than you know what to do with. And with all the problems that he's got to deal with, he starts out just by loving on them. And then after he tells them how much he uh, is glad to be the apostle and that he's heard about what they're doing, he also knows some things that are bad and they have problems. And he said, I'm going to set this in order. I have a big heart. I want you to make it. And there was the one guy that was in deep sin. And by the time we get to 2 Corinthians, he's even commending the fact that they've dealt with that. Now, don't just keep him ostracized. Uh, let him come back in if he's gotten right with God. Paul had a big heart. Oh, I pray we'd be big-hearted Christians. The, just open our heart and as a servant, repentant of our sins, sympathetic to the cause of Christ, determined, humble, burdened, loyal, never double-minded, double-hearted, challenged and commissioned to the very end, doing the will of God, being able to say, I, too, fought a good fight. I, too, have kept the faith. I have finished my course. Henceforth, there is laid up for me, and I can't wait to be able to say, Lord, I tried my best. I know I fail and come short, but I really wanted with all my heart to serve you father in the name of jesus christ king of kings and lord of lords i pray that you would allow us to examine who we are what kind of hearts we have and what kind of hearts we really want and how big-hearted we really want to be to the cause of christ and the things of christ we need you we can't make it without you i pray we'll love on you you'll love on us and we'll have a sweet fellowship that we can only enjoy as Christians. And we'll thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This is Pastor Walton with the Faith Baptist Church in Silver Springs, Florida. Have an absolutely awesome week. Yes, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his precious word, it thrills me through and through. I believe every word is true. You have been listening to the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton of the Faith Baptist Church in Silver Springs, Florida. You can address all correspondence to Pastor Roger Walton, 
P.O. Box 1770, Silver Springs, Florida, 34489. Tune in again next week for another Timeless Truth.